Thank you, Sean. And thank you all very much for celebrating Mary's birthday with me this morning. Mary and I have been going to a church for the past couple of months where I've been fascinated by the interaction between the speaker and the congregation. And I know that's not exactly our way, but I want to incorporate a little give and take like what we just had with Sean as our worship leader this morning with you today. We're going to do a little Q&A from Scripture. And you can say yes, or amen, or okay, or that's right, or however you feel. Has God rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the Son He loves? Did God qualify you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light? Have you received redemption through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of sins? Are you a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God? Have you received mercy? Were you once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions? Did the kindness and love of God our Savior appear to you? Did he save you through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit? Are you justified by his grace, having the hope of eternal life? Were you adopted as God's children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will? Were you once dead in your transgressions and sins? Because of God's great love for us, did God make you alive with Christ? Raise you up and seat you with him in the heavenly realms? Are you God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works? Are you bearing fruit in every good work? (laughs) Are you growing in the knowledge of God? Have you drawn near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith? Have you approached the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need? Have you entered God's gates with thanksgiving in your hearts this morning? Have you come into his courts with praise? Are you thankful because the Lord is good and his love endures forever? Because his faithfulness continues through all generations? Shall we give glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father? Has he made you glad? Do you want to keep all these gifts to yourself? Do you want others to know about this good news? Do you want everyone to know? Every nation, tribe, people, and language. Shall we do what we can this morning to make the name of Jesus famous around the world? I wanted to start here because I didn't come this morning to tell you about something you should care about, like missions, in order to make God happy. But to remind us that we are already blessed, adopted in the family, forgiven, robed because of what Christ has done. 
As we recall and embrace our core identity and relax into it, as we look at our passport of belonging to the kingdom of God, our citizenship in heaven, and abide there, remain there, and let the sap from that tree flow into our branches, we feel God's love for us, in us, and easily we love him back and care about what he cares about. Let's pray. Dear Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'm excited this morning to bring this mission conference to a close with the word from the Lord. As soon as I get an invitation to speak on missions, my mind starts running over certain texts. Matthew 24, 14, for instance, where it says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Or Matthew 28, or Acts 1, 8, which fortunately Tim addressed last night for us. Another of my favorite mission texts is Psalm 67, and we'll return to it to conclude this morning. But instead of any of those, I want to drop my anchor today in a gospel story you may never have thought of in connection with missions. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20, and I'm going to put it on the screen so that we can all read it together. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel as we remember that these are words about and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when we finish, I'll say the gospel of the Lord, and you'll respond, praise to you, Lord Christ. Luke 20, we'll read verse 1 to give us the context, and then 20 to 26. And I want you to read with me, all together. One day, Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news. Keeping a close watch on him, the chief priests and the teachers of the law sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Now I want you to turn to the person at your side. And I want you to ask, neighbor, 
Where was Jesus when this story happened? And I want you to reply, he was in the temple. And next I want you to ask, what is a temple? And I want you to reply, a temple is a place where God and people meet. Remember the covenant formula that's all over the Old Testament where God says, it has three parts. He says, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell among you. And the focal point of God's dwelling was understood to be the temple. Just a few verses before the text that we read this morning, Jesus quoted from Isaiah 56 in relation to the temple. He said, My house will be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus saw that place where he was standing at the time as a safe space where men and women from every nation, tribe, people, and language were invited to meet with God. In Exodus and Leviticus, long before Solomon built the temple on its foundation of stone, God gave instructions to the people to make a tabernacle, again, where it was understood that God would be present with them. It was called the Tent of Meeting, the Tent of Meeting, a place where God and people meet. The temple, like the church today, was meant to be the safest place on earth. But instead, we read as our story begins that it was full not only of robbers, but of spies. Now, let's pause a moment and try and put ourselves in that context. And maybe this modern-day illustration will help. Last year, 2022, in February, Mary and I were still in Bolivia. We've been there 33 years. So in this first year back, there were a lot of things that were new to us. And in February this year, it was our first February in the States in a long, long time, we celebrated Martin Luther King Day. And I picked up a book on Martin Luther King's legacy. And it said that even though today he is generally very well thought of and has not only a national holiday in his honor, but there's a highway with his name in almost every city, in his time he was often very hated and feared because he wanted to make changes in, in America, God's, God's country. And if you remember, King took his very first pastorate in 1954 at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. And the following year, in 55, he oversaw the Montgomery bus boycott. And do you remember what else was happening in the 1950s? 
with uh, that senator from Wisconsin, Joe McCarthy. He was fueling panic across the United States of communist infiltrators in government and just every level of society. So J. Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI from 1935 through 1972, opened a file on King, tapped his phone, and sent spies to his meetings. I have a, a mental picture in my head of a, a scene from the Bible where, where Mary and Joseph, remember, took Jesus to the temple for the first time in his life when he was 12 years old. And afterwards, Jesus stayed behind and they find him interacting with this same group that we read about, the, the chief priests and teachers of the law. And that scene, in my mind, seems very peaceful with this interested and respectful give and take of asking questions and listening to answers and so forth. And sometimes I want to carry that picture over to Jesus' adult life. But in Luke 20, in this last week of his life between the triumphal entry and his arrest and crucifixion, we know that they'd already put out a price on his head. The chief priests were recruiting spies and assassins. There's a funny story in John where they send soldiers to arrest him. And when the soldiers come back empty-handed, they shouted at him, Why didn't you bring him in? And the soldiers were like, uh, Nobody ever spoke the way this guy does. And I wonder if some of the spies that went back to J. Edgar Hoover had the same thing when they heard Martin Luther King teach and thought he might have a point. So what I want us to do is just remember a time when your amygdala, that fear center in your brain, got triggered. Remember that cold feeling in your stomach and how your heart rate sped up and your breathing rate increased and you started to perspire. That's the atmosphere when Jesus feels this question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? One thing I like about Jesus' answer is that he's unable to produce the coin he needs for his illustration. He like slaps his pocket and has to answer like Peter in Acts 3, uh, silver and gold have I none. Anybody else got a coin? And, and someone comes up with one. Got one here. And what does Jesus ask? Whose image and inscription are on this coin? Now, Jesus doesn't do random. In this tense situation, he's choosing his words carefully. When I think of that question, whose image? I think of a common scene throughout all of Latin America. In every city and town and village, there's a central square or plaza. And on one side of every plaza, there's a church. And on one corner of every church, there's a tower. And in every tower of every church, on every plaza, in every town and city, in all of Latin America, do you know what there is? 
Abel. And in the days before internet, before cell phones, even before television and before radio, that bell was used when there was important news of general interest to communicate to the public. They rang that bell and people from farms miles away would hear and run into the plaza to find out what had happened. And that's what Jesus does here with this word image. He rings the bell. Bong, 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 reverberating in every listener's head. Where have I heard that word before? Ask the person next to you, where have we heard that word before? And tell your neighbor, you heard it in Genesis 1. That's creation language. That's a word on the first page of the Bible. That's a foundational biblical word. So let's recall the story leading up to the first use of that word image. And as I recall it with you, keep the idea of a temple in your mind. So Genesis 1 begins like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Day one, God causes light to appear in the darkness, and he separates the two. Day two, God separates the skies above from the seas below. Day three, God separates the dry land from the ocean, and he covers it with vegetation. In the first three days, God constructs three empty reciprocal spaces, light and dark, sea and sky, water and land almost like he's constructing a building with a foundation and walls and a roof. In the next three days of the creation story, God fills those spaces. Day four fills the space created on day one, right? With the sun to rule the day and the moon and stars to rule the night. Day five populates the space from day two with birds filling the sky and fish filling the seas. And day six populates the dry land that was created on day three with animals of every description. What I want you to appreciate is that the language is architectural. God creating a place where God and people can meet. God constructing a temple and decorating it. And when all is ready, 
It's time to install God's image in the temple. Think about it this way. In Washington, D.C., there's the Lincoln Memorial. It's a massive building that looks like a temple with columns. And inside, there's an image of Mr. Lincoln seated in a chair. As you walk around there, you can feel his presence as you read his words on the wall. In Bible times, there were lots of temples. In Acts 19, we read about the goddess Artemis of the Ephesians. She had a temple with her image in it where you could go to meet with her. There were temples to Zeus and Neptune and Venus, each with an image of that god or goddess. The creation story made perfect sense to the people who first heard it that the God known as YHWH, Yahweh, had created a temple, a perfect dwelling place where God and people could meet together. And he placed his image in this finished temple with these awesome words. At the end of Genesis 1, God saw that all was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created that. We know what happened, that sin came into the world and that that image was marred in the image bearers and they went into exile from the presence of God. Jesus wants to bring all that story vividly back to our minds when he asks that question, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Where have we heard that before? Do you remember those words in Second Chronicles 7, also at the dedication of a temple? Solomon dedicating his temple. If my people who are called by my name who bear my inscription, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. So Jesus says to his questioners, to those spies, okay, give back to Caesar this bit of metal that bears his image and his inscription. But give back to God what has his image and inscription on it. You, me, your neighbor, the people of God called into being to bring blessing to the nations. Remember another interaction in the temple that we read about in John chapter 2 where Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days? And they replied, oh, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? But John says the temple he had spoken of was his body. What does that mean? That Jesus 
is now the meeting place between God and people. He's the new temple. And he's also the perfect image bearer. Those wonderful words in Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things. In him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He is the image of the invisible God. The image that men and women, you and me, were originally created to bear, but was marred, a second Adam came, who perfectly represented God, was that perfect image, and gave us his spirit that it said is transforming us more and more into his image, more and more into his likeness. So Jesus says, give back to God what is God's. Or as Romans 12.1 puts it, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So people of Northern Hills, turn one more time to your neighbor and say, I see God's image stamped on you. And say back, and I see God's inscription on you. And say to each other, give back to God what is God's. Now sticking with what Jesus said about paying taxes to Caesar with this coin? Think about it. When we pay our taxes, the government decides what to do with that money, right? We pay it, the government, but we don't decide how it gets used. The government decides if this is going to go to build schools or to fix roads or into somebody's social security check. That part is out of our hands. So in the same way, when you give yourself back to God... Let our all-sufficient maker, I loved how Tim described it last night, those bread and those loaves had no sufficiency in themselves, but in the hands of Jesus, they were sufficient to feed the multitude. Let our all-sufficient maker and redeemer decide what to do with what is his. Will he send you to the nations or to someone on your own block? Will he use you to send others? Does he want you to wrestle in prayer for someone? Will he give you the privilege of investing your treasure in that direction? Remember again that covenant formula. I will be your God. You will be my people. 
and I will dwell among you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So another of those many paradoxes that we live with in the Christian faith is that the go of missions starts with remain, abide in Jesus. I think of that story Jesus told about the ten young women waiting for the wedding feast to begin. And five of them got worried that they didn't have enough oil. And they went off and and missed the beginning of the banquet, missed the wedding feast. Don't think that you lack something and aren't ready to enter the master's call and that you need to go fill up whatever it is that you lack. That's what so many of the gospel stories are about, right? The 154 fish that are breaking the nets, the 12 baskets left over from feeding the 5,000, and the 7 baskets left over from feeding the, the 4,000, the, the 420 liters of water that get converted into wine to finish out the party. There's abundance in the kingdom. All we have to do is give back to God what is God. Give to God what has his image and inscription stamped on it. Let him decide how to use it. One thing I also like in our church is that every Sunday, no matter what, they always recall the ABCs of salvation. A, for admitting that you're a sinner, that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. B, for believing in Jesus, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. And C, confess that Jesus is your Lord. For if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. The ABCs, admit, believe, and confess. So now I said that we would finish with Psalm 67 and there's a beautiful video of that psalm set to music. If you'd like to open your Bibles to Psalm 67, the words that you hear are going to follow straight through the words as they show up in our psalm of God's heart for the nations.
there's still a lot of people out there who don't know whose image they bear. It's a wonderful invitation that God has given us to participate in passing on that message. Let me invite you to stand and ask this blessing over you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.